0: My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.
1: I am. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Post Credit Podcast. Eric and I are excited about this episode. Not only do we have WandaVision Episode 5, which we got to break down, evaluate, analyze, but we have our exclusive interview with War Machine himself, Don Cheadle. Be sure to tune in for that. He says a lot of really cool things. About armor wars a lot of cool things about his character's future in the mcu just a lot of fun tidbits about his past career that i think you guys will find enjoying before we get to all that juicy goodness there's a lot going on in the entertainment industry right now first of which is ryan coogler has signed a five-year tv deal with disney that means including in that is a Wakanda set series for Disney Plus, so we can add yet another Marvel blockbuster miniseries to the upcoming Disney Plus slate. Eric, this one I'm particularly jazzed about because I think Black Panther is obviously a title that is hugely popular. It was arguably their most sophisticated movie. Of course, there's a lot going on surrounding, you know, Chadwick Boseman's untimely passing, but there's no denying that this is one of the most visible and sought after corners of the MCU, correct?
2: Yeah, I mean I'd say before this whole Disney Plus era of the MCU began, if you were to ask fans like what what corner of the MCU do you think is most ripe to flesh out into its own long form show? This is it, right? Yeah. Like being on the ground in Wakanda would be fucking wild. Like I I Don't necessarily want this to be about like the Royals, you know, like the characters that we've come to know. I want to know not to, you know, do the old cliche detective type thing, but in the same sense of like, imagine being a cop in Wakanda, right? Are you a
1: cop? Are you a cop in Wakanda? (laughs)
2: <laughs> right with that voice exactly <laughs>
1: i think this guy's undercover <laughs>
2: um i just think that if you were to really like take it like because and the black panther films are literally i feel like they're all set quite high up in the world on top of mountains and tall buildings so taking that world to the literal street level is a very cool idea especially with coogler who we know could do you know grid based on time. creed yeah creed and fruitvale station so this is a guy who his roots sort of come from street stories, telling things on a, on a grounded scale. So marrying those two, even though he's already mastered the <laughs> Wakanda world, now truly marrying his primary filmmaking skill set with this world, ah, fantastic!
1: <laughs> I think I agree. The Afrofuturism of Wakanda is so. Epically cool and compelling and endlessly creative because they can think of a million. Folks, different-
2: you could check off your bingo cards if you had a Jewish guy saying Afrofuturism <laughs> today.
1: If you did, I mean, great fucking call! Congratulations, That's really impressive. you win the grand prize. Saying the Afrofuturism is is great to see. So expanding that, like you said, on a, on a, any other direction besides the most important superheroes is cool. Right,
2: right. Right. Exactly.
1: My last question, though, is: Do you think either Black Panther two, the sequel? Or the Disney Plus series finds a permanent replacement uh, for the Black Panther mantle? Or do you think it's going to be this it's revolving a horror question. of heroes?
2: I am willing to bet you that that is ultimately the plot of Black Panther 2, but they will decide to leave the mantle, I don't know, unclaimed, or it may exist in some new form. Because, all right, while that may offend comic book purists, Chadwick Boseman death If you saw my face when you brought that up, I like looked out the window as if like, I can't believe that fucking happened, you know? Like it's still still horrible. It's still so raw. So it would shock me that if the next Black Panther film or project as a whole, they already install his successor. I feel like that would be too soon. I do think though, that that is the general theme in that film.
1: I think that'll be interesting. And they have so many- Awesome options to choose from. I'm hoping that it's a revolving door, not necessarily like, okay, this one person is now the Black Panther and they will be the center of the franchise because I'm interested in Nakia, I'm interested in Shuri, I'm interested in Mumbaku. I think Storm could be a a great person to put in there due to her comic roots to Wakanda. So there's so many directions they can go in. I don't need just one person to step on. You you know what I mean? Do you think
2: a series about the King's Guard is viable?
1: I think that'd be awesome. Yes. Uh, yeah, see, I, I,
2: mean, I would still prefer something a little more grounded and not having to do with the I, I I don't know what their term is, but like the Royal Wakandans. I don't know what that is exactly, but you, you want a cop procedural in Wakanda, which would be cool. No, 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 well, I want to make clear, not necessarily cops, but the same way that they're doing that with yeah. the Batman, right? They're doing like the detective show. Show me what it's like to actually live in that city. I don't care what form it takes, just bring it down to where people like us can relate to that day-to-day life more.
1: Now I kind of want, like, a workplace sitcom (laughs) that's, like, a little bit office-y, a little bit WandaVision-y, but, like, set in Wakanda. So it's like, oh, let me get my morning coffee, and it just, like, evaporates and then reappears as coffee because Wakanda technology.
2: Bucky Barnes plays, like, the Creed. (laughs)
1: Yeah, exactly. Just, like, saying
2: crazy shit in the background. (laughs)
1: Yeah, right. back in nineteen sixty, I went to I went to Vietnam. It was oh, you know, just. <laughs> I would like to see that actually, as you take a sip from your magical Wakanda coffee. Mm. <laughs>
2: it's been All a right. long day, dude. It's been a long week. I've had a, I've been so jacked up on the Post Credit Pod high. that I've been getting up at like six thirty in the morning.
1: Yeah, just ready. You who, who have been consistent listeners, we greatly appreciate it because we've had a very nice, productive week here at the Post Credit Pod, and we've been very happy about For it. For sure. And, and if uh, you're
2: new here, welcome.
1: Yeah, and you're going to know why we've had a productive week very soon. The next news story, The Matrix 4, rumored title based on an ill-advised Instagram photo that may have revealed the name, and that would be Resurrection, sticking with the theme of Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions. What do you think about that title right off the bat, Eric?
2: I mean, well, this is The Matrix Rebooted. Uh, Because I'm sure it's going to be like a pseudo sequel, but yet also you can come into it fresh. Look, man, I'm excited for this. What fascinates me is, and I'm not sure I could think of an example quite like this. This film probably wasn't going to happen. But then because of the reignited star power of its star, it became a thing. Like nobody wanted this film in 2013. But
1: post Uh, I beg to differ, actually, because there was a ton. Yeah, there was a ton of rumors over the last decade. A lot of industry chatter and whispers that for a long time Warner Brothers is trying to figure out how they can go back into the Matrix franchise.
2: You really think if they made like the Matrix Four in 2013, back when like the MCU was at its hype and Keanu was in a was in a pre John Wick sort of lost Hollywood forest, do you really think that that would have been a viable hit?
1: They weren't necessarily considering whether it'd be a Keanu Reeves vehicle or okay. like a young Morpheus okay. or something. But I think the the fact is that for literally a decade plus they have been talking about how they would go about it. Well, my bottom line they...
2: is, and then I could tie in my thesis to your point. My bottom line is Keanu Reeves's reignited star power is what got this over the edge. Fair Keanu's enough.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Keanu's cultural resurgence plays a big role in it. And I love that this is continuing. He's like near decade high right now. And
2: at the start of quarantine, I went back and watched three of them. Three is not good.
1: No, two
2: is underrated as hell. I really enjoy two. And then one, it is remarkable how well, if not grown into itself, one is.
1: I hated two for the longest time. Hated it. Thought it was garbage. Underrated. And I have, since I've probably seen it close to 10 times total in my life. And in the last couple of times, I'm like, you know what? I was a little bit harsh. I still don't think it's great, but there's enough saving grace moments and action sequences and cool concepts where I'm like, this isn't as bad as I There's knew. an
2: hour plus stretch B where it's balls to the wall, where Keanu fights all those dudes with the swords, and then it goes into that car chase. Yeah, with well, uh, the
1: twins was very cool. Yeah.
2: So I am um, I am officially excited for this. It low key comes out this year which is like i'll believe it when i see it type vibes but
1: of warner brothers is slate this year it's my second most anticipated behind dune
2: you know what's funny is that this film was sort of one of the last productions i remember writing about a lot pre-covid like they were filming yeah. crazy stunts in san fran in like march of last year and i was writing about it like You know, like, it looks like they're back. So (laughs) I I think the title is cool. I think it's smart to play into the theme of the titles they've had while also indicating that this is going to be something resurrected and fresh. I'm in. Plus, maybe an R rating. I doubt
1: it, but maybe. Who knows? So Lawrence Fishburne said he isn't returning. He's maintained that, asked by several different reporters at several different times. Now, the rumors, rumors are that Yaya Mateen Abdul and I apologize if I'm butchering the uh, pronunciation, is potentially playing a young Morpheus.
2: He could 100% pull off that same sort of stillness. Oh, oh yeah, so, he's a man. But like, yeah.
1: if Lawrence Fishburne isn't in it and he is playing young Morpheus, that all tracks. Did he die in the third one? Uh, Morpheus? Yeah. No, I don't think so.
2: Okay, because it's called Resurrection. So
1: someone's well, coming Neo, back from Neo somewhere. Died. Neo died at the end of the third one. See, I don't... That's a problem. The
2: third one is such a plotting mess that I don't actually remember what happened.
1: It's awful. All right, right, let's stick with Warner Brothers. Uh, The Snyder Cut coming to HBO Max. We got our first tease of Jared Leto's Joker with the longer hair. It looks pretty grimy. Uh, We also have a confirmation that it is rated R. Now, to me, I I think this is a bad move. I know, Eric, you disagree. But I want to hear your explanation, and then I'll give you mine.
2: Well, I... Took, you know, a cheeky shot at you on Twitter, but wouldn't, let's say it's me and you, right? Wouldn't you prefer it's rated R?
1: Actually, no. Why not? I want to see, so I don't need the Justice League to be R-rated. Now, I'm not criticizing the move because as we've seen with Logan and Deadpool, R-rated superhero movies can absolutely work and be really, really, really fucking good. In this instance, my main argument is, A, commercially, it's not a great uh, uh, move for HBO Max. But B, when you're talking about my personal opinion, when I think of the Justice League, I think of the animated series, which we're going to talk about in a second. And I think of the few comics that I have read of them attacking Darkseid. And my version of the Justice League is, is far more optimistic and colorful yeah. and certainly perhaps even pushing on naive in the sense that they represent goodness. And they, it isn't this kind of corrupted, dark and gritty force. That's just making the best of a twisted world. So I, I don't love that, that take on it. Will it, will it be good? Will it be bad? I have no idea. I I will tell you, I'm I'm excited to watch it because it's been four years of constant focus.
2: It's not to say that an R rating is a hill I'm going to die on, but what you would put in our notes and what I had wrote a response to is that you says it makes an a niche offering even more restricted now that may be true in the pre-pandemic world where you have to roll things out in theaters but when you have kids locking hours and hours of unrestricted viewing on top of considering the fact that this will be on their home page and feature batman's face and superman's face the r rating sure you may catch a parent here or there who says no but i don't i think if anything it on the other side of the age curve makes adults who were perhaps on the fence now more game
1: uh, that's potentially true but although streaming clearly is a lower bar of access than theatrical like you said and our rating i do believe still is restrictive. if you know families with children are the fastest growing streaming demographic in the industry any amount of like surveys and studies from reputable outlets over the years, like hub entertainment, and HSI, they indicate the same thing. The majority of parents you do know. monitor and restrict what their children access on streaming. And you look at data from like, you know, good outlets like TV time and real good and, and Nielsen family with young children stream, the least amount of R rated content of any demographic. And, and all of the t- the top 10 most watched, uh, streaming movies of 2020 were either PG or PG 13. Now, again, I will be watching the Snyder cut. I hope it's awesome. I hope it provides the campaign supporters, everything they've been waiting for, but I, and I'm not attacking the film or the director, but I do think a, the mainstream awareness of the inside baseball details surrounding justice league is very low, which we've talked about. And that extends to this new version and an R rating has proven to be less accessible to wide swaths of streaming audiences in a handful of previous, you know, surveys and and data collections and everything. So none of this prevents the Snyder Cut from doing well inherently. But I do think to a certain degree, it caps the audience reach.
2: You bring up a great point about families. If you're an average dad and son, right, you likely don't remember or don't care as much about how bad the First one was. So if you're on the couch with your son, who's seven or eight years old, who is definitely too young for an R-rated film, but I think it's just because there might be a couple of quote unquote scary scenes. But I would reason that the Batman and Superman's face is enough of a you can trust me sign to the average consumer who may not be of an R-rating age, but because of the characters involved the parents in charge will know that an R-rated Tarantino film and this R-rating are not quite the same thing.
1: That's true, but I also think you got to remember that this is a new version of a film that audiences already rejected years ago, and it was a critical and commercial failure. Now, we both agree that because it's going to be a complete singular vision from one director, it's absolutely going to be a step up, but the average everyday American consumer has no idea what the Snyder Cut is.
2: Yeah, fair enough. And so just to tie a bow, I, from what we've learned this week, both the R rating and that first look at Jared Leto's Joker, which, look.
1: Not a bad promo man. I've dumped
2: on him a lot, but I've been consistent in saying I am willing to let him have a second chance. I've always said that. So if he comes and blows us away with this sort of war-torn version which, is, which it looks like we're going to be getting, which is unlike any Joker we've ever gotten on film, period. If he pulls it off with a more grimy look, you know what? All the power to him. The word that I've used all week is intrigued.
1: You and I have agreed on this pod before. Suicide Squad is a dumpster fire of shit, but it's not necessarily Jared Leto's fault. Now, his performance from what we saw wasn't great, but 90% of what he filmed was cut. Had it been yeah. the original version, we saw the full length of the story and development, perhaps we would feel a little bit differently. So yes. I am willing to give that another. But if time.
2: we ever get him on the pod, which that'll be a feisty day.
1: I mean, we're never going to because he's going to take one Google trip and be like, these guys are fucking assholes.
2: Well, maybe he's that type of psycho who would be like, oh, now I definitely <laughs> want to be on the pod. You know, he's <laughs> like true. like a Shia LaBeouf esque. Oh, this is performance art type bullshit. I want to ask him who decided to tattoo damaged on Joker's forehead. Whoever the culprit is, they don't get a second pass. I don't care if it's Leto or Ayer, whoever. Sorry, your get out of jail free card. Get out of Arkham free card has been fucking revoked because that shit was atrocious.
1: I'm not going to be subtle. I'm going to be really, really obvious. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) All All right. right. All right. Next. Uh, sticking with Justice League, like we just said before, the animated series Justice League and Justice League Unlimited are now available to stream on HBO Max. Eric, the animated Justice League was my first kind of tangible exposure to superheroes that I could actually grasp and understand. And from there, I went back to like Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series, and then f- moving forward, watched all a ton of animated co- uh, uh, superhero material. And now today, one of my favorite sleep shows is any sort of animated superhero material. I love throwing that on, watching, and then dozing off. What was your first exposure to superhero material? Oh, wow, that's a great question, Brandon.
2: Let me just say that I put this in our notes. I didn't expect to have to break it down or get in depth. I just wanted y'all to know that. Um, it's
1: great, and those now are they, phenomenal now they've shows.
2: Got, they've got Batman, the animated series. They've got the new Batman which is also just Batman, the animated series season three, they just updated their looks to where Batman. I don't don't
1: like the new animation.
2: Oh, I like the
1: old school one.
2: So the newer one, the black and gray was like when I was like, oh, that's my fucking dude right there. So, and then they have Batman beyond and then these two justice league series. So the only one they don't have currently is the Superman one, which ran for like four years. So the
1: Superman
2: um, one. So cool. So I'm hyped on that. Uh, Now, to get to your point, I've brought this up on the podcast a few times. Batman, the animated series, shaped my life to an incalculable degree.
1: To the point that you are now going out on rooftops in Hoboken at night trying to beat up criminals.
2: If only, right? It'd be a hobby, at least. (laughs) Uh, You know, in quarantine, I sort of understand why Bruce just likes to run around in a cape and fight people. It, It seems cathartic. The show premiered in 92. I was born in 93. There's no way I could comprehend Batman until I was at least five. But so, yeah, it was it was the updated new Batman adventures. And then I remember the Superman cartoon, who even still to this day, because I was watching the uh, Justice League cartoon and Brainiac and Darkseid all show up. And they're just such awesome renderings of these iconic Superman villains that, that are sure. both palatable for children and entertaining for adults, quote unquote. Uh, So that was mine. These five or six series are a huge part of my childhood and what led me down the course that is letting you hear my voice right now. (laughs) I mean, straight up.
1: And just in case anyone else wants some more recommendations, I'm currently watching the Green Lantern animated show on HBO Max for the second time. It was on Netflix when I was in college, so I'd get drunk and watch it. That's is my it in show. the same universe? It's it's not, but it's just really cool animation. It's all set in outer space, like no Earth stuff. So it's just it's just a really fun go. And then I'm gonna hop over to a lot of these other ones. Oh shit!
2: Okay, I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that that was a thing. Fuck yeah! yeah it's, all you know, right, this is
1: my second time watching it. I'm having all fun. Right. Sticking with DC, the Suicide Squad from James Gunn released an official plot synopsis. Gonna run through it quickly here. Welcome to Hell, a.k.a. Bell Reeve, the prison with the highest mortality rate in the U.S. of A, where the worst supervillains are kept and where they will do anything to get out, even join the super-secret, super-shady Task Force X. Today's do-or-die assignment assemble a collection of cons, including Bloodsport, Peacemaker, Captain Boomerang, Ratcatcher 2, Savant, King Shark, Blackguard, Javelin, and everyone's favorite psycho, Harley Quinn then arm them heavily and drop them literally on the remote enemy infused Island of Corto Maltese. That's one hell of a, you know, colorful plot. plot, Yeah. You know, it, even
2: though it's just words and yes, we can sort of tie this in with clips that we've seen, but the change in tone from what they were going with the first time to what they have here now, it's just such a wild swing. Like, Them clearly really not having a grasp on who these characters are and how they should be used. That all said, James Gunn and James Gunn alone being involved in this makes this a very exciting thing. Guardians 1 is my favorite MCU film of all time, and he takes a ragtag, generally unheard of, antihero-esque bunch and turns them into A-list stars. I think that this will probably be more gruesome than... This is a 30s? property
1: that makes way more sense as an R-rated film, which it is, than Justice League, in my opinion. For
2: sure, for sure, for sure. So I, I think it sounds cool. Um, It wouldn't shock me if we're proved wrong again. It's fucking trash because that's just how things go these days. But <laughs> no, not right, with
1: James Gunn.
2: Right. So right now, I'm, I'm definitely hyped for it. it drops August 6th, which is about half a year from now, but we will see.
1: And won't be delayed because of the pandemic. James Gunn's already confirmed that, so that's fun.
2: Yeah.
1: All right, sticking with HBO Max, The Little Things came out last week. Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, your boy Jared Leto. We both watched it. There are worse movies made. <laughs> there are worse movies I made. I can't
2: believe you're being that kind to it, really. I. I that mean, feels I, like a big, that feels like a past right there, B.
1: I, I think it was fine. I, I think it it stacks every single cop drama cliche you've ever seen into the first seventy five percent of the movie, and then takes a left turn with an unexpectedly convention breaking good ending.
2: I'm stunned. You thought that that ending was good?
1: I liked it because it forces Woo! you to ask a lot of questions that you wouldn't normally. And it also completely ties expectations. Which are, expectations. So which which are, are why just,
2: did I just spend two and a half hours <laughs> watching this?
1: Listen, I, I don't think it's a great movie. I think it's it's probably the fourth or fifth out of like the five or six new movies of 2020, that I 2021 that I've seen so far. It's ranking low on my list, but I think it's fine. I think it's watchable.
2: <sighs> okay. But see, that kind of bothers me because you make a great point that they stacked all of the 90s crime drama cliches into the first half. If you're gonna be that film, then be that film. Give us a gnarly ending. This sort of meditative, will we ever know? Do you become a monster yourself as you chase one down type thing? And the way in which it literally happened, which I don't want to spoil it too much.
1: Yeah, don't don't spoil it just in case there's still people out there.
2: Yeah. So but I if you haven't watched it and you're on a fence, I'd say skip it. There's a Denzel subplot that I find very not just weird in concept, but poorly shot. Um Literally. <laughs> uh As I said, the twist stunk. The pacing to get you to that twist is absurd. It is overly long for no reason. And the combination of Rami Malek and Jared Leto. Let me tell you something. Jared was actually not that bad, to be honest. With Jared you was hint- pretty good in it which is a recurring theme similar to
1: Blade Runner 2049 when he tones it down a bit. I mean, I've always said I like him as an actor. You're the one who really hates him. It's interesting that you were higher on Midnight Sky than I was, and I'm higher on this than you were. That's interesting. Well,
2: at this point, it's just morphed into a bit that I can't let die at this point.
1: What, the Jared Leto? (laughs) (laughs) No, that's fair. I respect that. I respect, as someone who used to do stand-up comedy, I respect commitment to the bit.
2: I've been for years. This is my longest running joke that I have. We're totally off track, but it's worth it. <laughs> so so my roommate from college who I still live with to this day. So we lived we've lived together from the frat house to the to the college house to the post college apartment. He is by no means fat, but he is he could if he lets himself go for a few weeks, he'll add on a few pounds. So I kid you not, for as long as I've known him, whenever I eat a pack of sour patch kids i'll go to him and ask him if he wants the sugar that's left in the package <laughs> Jesus. just to torture
1: him every time i did it to him last week he fucking lost it absolutely lost oh it. my god so how many times roughly do you think you've done this joke to him 30 plus wow over, yeah. over like a 10 year period roughly yeah yeah
2: oh yeah it's uh, he he like he started to laugh as soon as I just like held up the bag cause he knew what was coming. And it's like, you know, similar to like 30 rock, how the funniness of the joke is how subtly you slip it in. Yeah. So I'm cracking up now, but when I go to do it to him, I try to keep a real straight face. You
1: know? Of course. Point terrible. being,
2: I love a good long running joke. That is what this has become with my pseudo hate for the
1: running gag. Every Everybody Jared Leto. running gag.
2: He's pretty good at this. Rami Malik uh, I, we need to stop this now.
1: I mean, I think Rami Malek's a good actor. I think he's totally miscast as a, as a tough cop.
2: What makes you say that? Because of that show, like, what tells you that he's good?
1: I think he's he's extremely good in Mr. Robot, like really good. I think he was really good in Band of Brothers. Uh, you know, several of his other smaller roles in in the years prior. I I think he's talented. I just don't. I I didn't like Bohemian Rhapsody, and I don't yeah. know. I don't yeah, know how don't know. he beats out. Uh, our boy Christian Bale, our boy Bradley Cooper for the for the Oscar in, in that I race. Know, I know mean, it's that's a insane. Astor. Like he he if he wasn't nominated, I would be like, yeah, that was a fine performance. He gave a lot of energy. But the fact that he became like the 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 consensus winner, I was like, Jesus, this is insane.
2: Well, I think that that's why I tie a thread between these two guys, because I think they coast off the back of undeserved Academy Award wins. That their entire reputation is built on awards that I think they probably Jared Leto was phenomenal have. in
1: Dallas Buyers Club. But
2: he's a method actor. That's what he does. He he throws himself into things. It, it's but, not but that. That like doesn't he, take away from the quality It just of so the performance. happened that he did it in a it just so happened that he did it in an all right film this time. More times than not, it doesn't work out for him. How okay, many Jared Leto films have you actually seen?
1: But holding the uh, method acting against someone doesn't make any sense. So Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers have two completely different approaches to how they train, how they take care of themselves, what they do in the uh, in the kind of study room. I mean, this is this is well documented. Yeah. When they both step on the field and throw a touchdown, it counts exactly the same. Like, no,
2: I hear you. I, I just I don't think they're as good as their rep says that
1: they are. Have you seen Mr. Robot?
2: No, because because you like that show, actually, I know. But because the the twist got ruined for me. So once that happens to me, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck.
1: You should still go for it. I think All you right, like that. So uh, let's <laughs> give this a uh,
2: one out of 10 bullets.
1: Oh, one out of 10. I'm going to give this six bullets, five and a half, six wow,
2: bullets. You are a kind, kind grader. Uh, I'll give this 3.5 bullets.
1: I mean, I think that's like, there are worse movies made than the little. Things.
2: Our scales are clearly not the same. <laughs> uh, remember, I told you if I got a D. I was like, I know more than half of this stuff. That's a that's a good
1: thing to me. So a six is a high score for me. That's fair. That's fair. I can't wait until one day we both give something a 10, if it ever happens. Man of Steel. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Running jokes, baby. Let's do this. <laughs> All right. Sticking with Jared Leto for a second. The Golden Globe nominations were announced on Wednesday. Jared Leto somehow got nominated. Uh, I think the big takeaway from the Golden Globe nominations is that Netflix led the way with 42 total noms and streaming in general had over 60 uh i've said this on this pod before i've said it in at observer.com i've said it everywhere we were already tracking pre-pand pre-pandemic to an entertainment industry that revolved around direct to consumer model this massive success of streamers in award shows only underscores the current climate, and that is that the pandemic has expedited that transition. It's all about the at-home entertainment, and theaters will come back. I don't think theaters will ever go extinct, but it's really difficult to say that streaming isn't the most important arm of the entertainment industry right now and moving forward.
2: I suppose I'm surprised to hear you put weight in the Globes at all.
1: I think it's one kernel in a larger trend that we now have ample data and evidence, whether that be critical, commercial, you know, awards validation, every facet of the argument has been dominated by enough evidence to say, okay, streaming is the most important aspect of film and television yeah
2: but to that point a netflix film to me was one of the biggest snubs and that's the five bloods not
1: my man delroy linda whether
2: it be acting supporting acting for both delroy and chadwick best picture i could not believe that they nominated the trial of the chicago seven and not this I like egregious the the, the the trial of chicago seven is fine it's a, it's, it's fine good. exactly it's fine
1: I think the concept of it is better than the actual execution for sure. But, you know, listen, at the end of the day, the golden globes under normal circumstances is the only award show that lets all of its attendees drink throughout the entire show. So it's the best one in that, in that regard. Yes, for sure. sure. (laughs) All right. Now we're going to move on to our WandaVision recap, as well as our Don Cheadle interview. You just want to walk the people through what they have to expect from our, our 15 minutes of fame with Don Cheadle because it was so much fun. All
2: right. So this guy's vibes were just through the fucking roof.
1: First of all, he was styling the second yeah, he came uh, on camera.
2: I showed up on in the Zoom wearing a fucking Nike t-shirt. I look like I'm doing more of a real job now than I did then because I was told it was audio only. Point being is the first thing you'll hear is my dumbass being like, oh, Don Cheadle. What's up, man? Totally surprised. This guy couldn't have been cooler. We got into Ocean's 12 filming with the cast of just absolutely legendary stars and what they did when the cameras weren't rolling. We talk about how he improved. And I had said this before he gave us this fact. One of Endgame's best lines, he improved, told us that. And then he gave us, I'd say, three pretty big scoops one of which was so big that we didn't even realize at the time because we had because he said it in such passing that like we like we had just assumed that this was news already
1: the best of all of them was definitely the fact that don cheeto confirmed to us that war machine aka Rhodey, will be popping up in the falcon in the winter soldier show we, we don't know in what context, we don't know uh, why he's there, what his connection is, but he will be there. That is from Don Cheadle himself. So, you know, pretty good source.
2: We had, we had been joking that like, did, did Donnie fuck up? But now we're also joking, did Donnie choose us? So I choose the lead that
1: Donnie chose on. Yes. I just was transcribing it. I'm like, wait, I don't think anyone said this. <laughs> Yo,
2: it's funny because I remember him saying that. And if you hear, you hear me go, oh, cool, cool.
1: <laughs> it's just it's just a good lesson for us. Like if we if we even think for one second, it's like, is that news? Just like any type of follow-up. Yeah. All right, Eric, now that we're done with all the news, it's time for the meat and potatoes of this week's WandaVision episode on a very special episode, the title, which I also love right off the bat because it is essentially that's the term that forever in the history of sitcoms has been used every time a sitcom deals with heavy things. So whether that be like drugs or drinking or someone's getting molested in an episode, on a very special episode is the, always the the terminology that's been used. So I, I think it's very apt for this episode. All right, so before we jump into the recap, and, and kind of jumping off what I just said about how on a very special episode is always reserved for these heavy sitcom episodes throughout TV history, question for you, my friend. Not counting Infinity War or Endgame, which had its own set of serious stakes, is this the saddest episode? mcu entry thus far yeah
2: so well b i was inspired by you last week and seeing that you still take notes on a notebook i do i do so i i went out and bought myself a nice seven dollar notepad
1: Ah, it's looking good you're looking so jimmy olsen right now and
2: at the a i do find that it helps because i find writing on a computer notes to be more distracting while you're trying to watch something whereas like you can just jot it down real quick and i feel like you're still sort of in tune with what's going on 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 your screen point being is here you'll see at the top i wrote saddest mcu entry because
1: she also has a beautiful little squiggly line underlined to really drive that point well,
2: I because I, I didn't want to skip this because it's sort of an yeah. overarching topic about not so much the episode details but about the show itself because i was thinking about the context of like that this is and as you've been pointing out the whole time this is a series about remorse and grief and loss and watching Wanda so painfully sort of fight through these things, to the extent where like she's keeping the resurrection of her loved one hostage, Oof. is like a. When you su- say it like that, Eric. Oof, is like a super heavy idea, and I, and, and I want to say that I probably felt this feeling this week of sadness because of the excellent work of this show's two leads so who, who who are doing so much at once and absolutely bring the house down this week. You really feel Vision's, you know, this is a show about Wanda's pain. They threw Vision's pain on top of that this week too. I was thinking, given- She's sort
1: of, on the edge.
2: Yeah. So given sort of what this show is constructed to be, a- examination of sort of you know how in like Logan, whereas Charles Xavier's mind is like a super powered weapon because he can't control it. They're doing that same thing now with Wanda yeah, via via grief, right? So to explore that in a superhero context, and then to give us the perspective of both the living and the dead of how they might feel about this, I, I, I think that this is... In a whole, you know, not counting certain moments like Yondu's death and volume two or stuff like that as an entire package. Probably the in the most literal definition of the word saddest MCU project to date.
1: And I think it's interesting also that jumping off of what you just said this episode features the least amount of straight up jokes, whether that be in the sitcom format or the real world. And I think that was very intentional because they needed episode five to be in many ways, an emotional culmination and an emotional low, both at the same time to establish this necessary feeling of straight up depression running throughout, because this is, the most emotional dynamic they can set up. And we're going to, we're going to talk about it later, but they are essentially turning a hero we love and have supported for six years now into the villain. And to do that, it, it needs multiple layers of sadness. And structurally the episode does that by focusing on the dramatic element. So just on multiple layers, this is hitting in the feels in the way they want outside of like everyone disappearing and being snapped in infinity war. And, uh, and Tony Stark dying at the end of Endgame. I, I think this is absolutely one of the saddest entries in the MCU, and effectively so, more so even than some of the other ones, and we'll get to this again later, because this is more gray territory than I can ever remember in the MCU, when yeah. everything has often been black and white, even in Civil War to an It's extent.
2: venturing into, I wouldn't quite call it anti-hero, but it's the first time that a hero has really been projected in this sort of
1: I would say a full-on villain by this, by the Villainous end of the episode. Villainous light,
2: yeah, yeah. Not
1: even anti-hero. Full-on, you know, there's a turn for the worst.
2: Yeah. All right, let's dive in.
1: So it is the 1980 setting. And yes, before you ask, the hair is big and wonderful. You're going to love it if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, Wanda and Vision are struggling to stop baby Tommy and baby Billy from crying because, you know, parents. <laughs> that is what happens. Agnes pops by and offers to help look after the boys. But Vision is questioning her behavior. And he and Wanda are interrupted when Tommy and Billy suddenly age up five years. Now, Eric, this is a very revealing, set-the-tone kind of scene because Vision refuses her offer. And then Agnes turns to Wanda and goes, do you want me to take that again? As if it was an actor repeating a scene. So she breaks character in that moment, hinting at the cracks in this reality, giving Vision his first of many instances in this episode of things not being what they seem and Wanda willfully ignoring what's in front of her eyes.
2: Yeah. And my recap that you could find on BroBible.com, I wrote in reference to this podcast and I'm almost tired of hearing myself make this point because I make it every week, but only because this show forces me to. And that's because (laughs) it does it better and better each week. Once again, and the, the, phrase that I've coined is the weaponization of normalcy. Catherine Hans, Agnes, isn't doing anything abnormal in a vacuum, but in the context of the situation, it's very disturbing. And they're using that weaponization of normalcy as a catalyst to flip comedic scenes into horror scenes on a snap. And they do it every single week. And they continue to find increasingly distressing ways To do so
1: and it's also essentially convincing vision that he's crazy it is in this whole episode and again we will touch more on it as we continue our discussion but she's just gaslighting the shit out of her husband (laughs) which is a horrible domestic situation let alone the otherworldly elements and context that it is surrounding it
2: just a quick few notes here the intro song this week is probably the best one yet absolute banger i mean Um, baby
1: baby vision i was wondering as they were showing wanda's pictures i'm like well vision was created as an adult are they just going to do ultron
2: and they just do fake
1: you know him him with his diploma that was great
2: so so and then as you brought up the hair i also want to point out the clothing is phenomenal i didn't know 80s had slim fits like that but everything looked like it fit well compared to the 90s where the suits were you know three times too big
1: i think of like the chandler being like pouring out of his clothes in uh in friends
2: i'm gonna drop a fucking bomb on your dome piece real quick that i'm not sure if you caught this agnes is present every time the kids age up
1: Yes, I did. I did catch that. Okay, so I she's, have that in my notes.
2: So she's here this first time.
1: Suspicious. When,
2: when uh, she goes from when they go from being babies, straight up babies, to five, and then she shows up again with the doghouse right before they turn from five to ten, and then she's also there the third time when Wanda is worried about them aging to avoid the pain of their dog's death, which was caused by Agnes in the first place. Also of note and then later vision asked wanda why are there no kids in the neighborhood so and what i want to ask this you, last week so what i want to ask you is this is agnes deliberately trying to accelerate the children's growth and is she trying to do that so they could ultimately suffer the same fate of all the kids who don't exist in westview
1: Yeah, we discussed that last week. They put on a benefit for the children and everyone kept repeating for the children in that cult-like manner. And yet there are no kids. Now, you and I have kind of toggled back and forth and based on Agnes, who we think is Agatha Harkness, based on her comic roots, we thought that she could potentially be a good guy because Agatha in the comics does ultimately serve more or less as a mentor for Wanda. But now with her continuing to mention her husband, Ralph, who has not showed up, continuing to uh, see all the devil iconography, and tying it back to the comics in which the devil entity, Mephisto, needs the kids to to age up and reach their, their full power so he can absorb them, and so he can kind of... Uh, get to his full potential power. Yes, I think Ralph is Mephisto. I think she is a bad guy. She is deliberately aging the kids up so her husband Mephisto or you know, her master whatever they're going to do with that can absorb them at their full strength so he gets like the 100% boost up, power up benefits. So we have again, like we said, toggled back and forth on Agatha. This seems to Uh, Agnes, this seems to paint a more clear picture that maybe she's not up to anything very good. Yeah. Uh, All right. Moving through the episode, Monica awakes in a hospital bed. Her CT scan show would appear to be absolutely nothing, while the nurse makes a similar comment about her blood, saying they need to draw it again. We're going to touch on that in a second for sure. Uh, Monica, Darcy, and Jimmy go to a sword meeting where stereotypical douchey suit guy who's the acting director. of I sword. think his name is
2: Hayward, but but it, it, on this it, podcast, we're calling him Douchey Suit Guy.
1: No, I, I agree. And I think the fact that he is acting director is important for a theory I want to bring up. Excuse me. In a second. Uh, he reveals that nine days ago, so essentially nine days before WandaVision begins, Wanda broke into S.W.O.R.D.'s facility to steal Vision's dissected corpse and that was despite his last will and testament. And I know we're dealing with some heavy material right now, but the fact that Vision had a will is just Is did they it.
2: mean a literal That's will? how I took
1: it. I, okay. I took it that he had like wishes, you know, that were that were legally binding.
2: Okay. Okay.
1: Now Dushi Sukai character characterizes as the primary victimizer, brands her a terrorist, while Monica and Jimmy clearly disagree with that assertion. And based on Monica's firsthand experience and the Avengers' eventual trust in in Wanda, Jimmy and the, and the squad, the main squad, clearly think there's there's more going on and that she deserves the benefit of the doubt.
2: Yeah, this, so, this
1: was some interesting stuff going on.
2: Okay, so I love and they do this twice here in this episode, and we'll touch on the other time they do it later. But I love the explaining of Wanda's history from within the MCU and the clashing perspectives of how those who live within that world view them you know the same way captain america civil war sort of drew a line between the avengers themselves that same line seems to be drawn in society you're you're either in the camp that they're the the problem or you're in the camp that they're the solution
1: and this fits in with the whole ongoing theme of distrust of whoever's at the top of whichever organization we're dealing with
2: There's two things that go down in this scene that caught my ear. Wanda stealing Vision's corpse thing feels very nefarious to me. If they knew this all happened nine days ago, then why does it seem like they were generally caught off guard by like the whole Westview thing, right? Like, could this be somebody else pretending to be Wanda? I know that's sort of a, a long shot, but there was just something about the aggression in which she did this This act that didn't ring true to the character that we had come to know. Now, granted, in Endgame, we also saw her in this sort of manic, furious state. So perhaps that is who she is now. But something about it just didn't feel right. Also of note, and sort of into that point, Jimmy Woo points out, how could Wanda bring back Vision without the time stone? And I just wrote down here quickly. Right, the mind stone, sorry. I just wrote down here quickly. Deal with the devil? Question
1: mark. I like that, and that fits into the overarching big bad theory that we continue to shill over here, regardless of whether or not Eric that was her. And you know what? I'm starting to think that that might have been straight up Wanda, just in grief and full, you know, berserker mode. That's some dark shit. I know. Feeling the dissected corpse of her dead lover horrifically
2: horrifically dissected it is it is fucking brutal dude
1: i i like that we're edging into this territory where it's like guys this this is no joke you know like if we if we really want to invest in these characters emotionally well damn that is some nefarious shit like you said
2: yeah so i don't know there was you're probably right and i am not 100 percent sold on this theory i just wanted to put it out there because this Seen in specifically like how did Wanda how does Wanda go from seeming like she wasn't even aware how this fake reality started to full-blown stealing Vision's corpse could whoever the true villain is have coaxed her into doing that because they needed Vision around for them to have children
1: very very possible I mean I think the pieces of a logical theory are falling into place with each passing episode. It,
2: it just, I guess my bottom line point is here, while Juan is clearly not doing well and we're, and they're painting her as a villain, this just feels like a step too far to me.
1: Potentially. But I also think it fits with what happens later in yep. her interaction with sword as well. But before we move on, I just want to do a quick theory right now of my own, because we are talking about uh sword Now in the comics, normally a character named Brand is usually the director of Sword. So I'm starting to think Wanda ends up killing or really injuring the acting director, which they have gone out of their way to emphasize multiple times in the show. If you go back and rewatch the episode, Dushi Sukai keeps saying, oh, acting, 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 acting. Why is he acting? Because I think one is either going to kill him and or hurt him to really cement by the end of the series to really cement her transition into a, into a true villain. And then it's twofold going too far, snaps her out of this alternate reality funk. And she realizes finally, probably with the help of others, you know, via vision and maybe a Dr. Strange cameo that she has to put an end to this one way or the other. So I think Dushi Sudkai is a, placeholder catalyst for her own character development and a a darker twist on WandaVision to come.
2: I love that. But so you're suggesting that this series ends and Wanda's place in the MCU from here. Is that of a villain?
1: I don't think she's going to be a a full time villain. Like if they might stop short of her full on killing brand, but she could injure him and she's like, oh, I got to I got to cut it out. You know, like we never held it against Vision for accidentally paralyzing War Machine, you know what I mean? Right, right. So it's kind of something along those lines. Our boy,
2: War Machine, uh, yeah. our
1: fucking boy. Yeah, Don Cheadle is our boy, we'll get to that interview later because you guys are going to love it. <laughs> so that, that's my little quick-hitting theory uh, since we're talking sword right now. But let's jump back into the episode. They're all in the kitchen. A dog appears at their house. The boys ask to keep it. Agnes suggests they name it Sparky as the dog goes over and somehow ignites the wall outlet in the kitchen which was just weird and clearly otherworldly at the same time uh wanda is arguing with vision as as agnes is kind of distracted by the dog and the boys and she almost reveals her abilities right in front of agnes and this is another key key clue to vision that something's not right he's concerned at her kind of laissez-faire lackadaisical attitude um But they move past that quickly. They agree that the boys are too young to care for the dog, and they're not going to be ready until they're at least 10. So these cheeky little fucking rugrats exchange a twin look between each other and immediately age themselves up to 10 years old. I like that little bit. Uh, Parallel to this in the real world, Monica, Jimmy, and Darcy, who all learn that Wanda is, quote, rewriting the fabric of reality. Specifically, Mon- uh, Monica's clothes are now made out of Kevlar. They're bulletproof, which was a cool little twist. Uh, they discussed their strategy, ultimately deciding to send in a 1980s drone. So it's already in line with the, quote, production design of this alternate reality time period. And so it won't be changed. These were two really illuminating segments for multiple reasons. And I also liked what they said uh, in the Monica, Jimmy, Darcy part that everything she manifests becomes real life matter in, in that alternate reality and in the world. That has potential ramifications for later in the episode that we will circle back to.
2: Yeah, well, so there's rewriting. They call it rewriting here. And then they also, you know, towards the end with that big twist, what which we'll get to, call that recast. So it makes me wonder if the MCU is being meta about the multiversal chaos that is about to come our way and are going to sort of try to hand wave it in a fourth wall breaking deadpool-esque hey we're literally going to rewrite the rules and recast the characters of the mcu in front of your eyes especially continuing especially with deadpool coming he could he, he could explain this shit he could be like he could say out loud wait a minute you're the guy from the Fox movies. What are you doing here? We're both from, from the same world. What's going on, man? High five. But I don't don't
1: consider that what they're doing. I think they're laying the groundwork for a legit explanation, not like a hand wave, lazy explanation. No, I'm not saying
2: hand waving. I'm, 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 I'm not saying hand waving. I'm saying that within the context of the MCU in that world, they are going to describe whatever multiversal changes they're going through as these sort of, meta terms rewritings and recastings. Yeah, and stuff but like I, that i think
1: they're laying solid groundwork like hand wave has like a negative connotation right like right, lazy right. writing and I, I don't think that's the case forget i said hand wave, more meta i will never forget eric i'll hold it against uh, you for the rest of our friendship
2: and then I, I i just want to point out about this and then it sort of ties into how i brought it before how they describe like where wanda has been and how she became who she is this part, they discuss how Wanda and Captain Marvel almost took down Thanos as if the battle has become legend within that world. People who weren't there know details about it. So that was just a very cool sort of example of how these characters are growing within the MCU post-Blip and how, you know, the battle against Thanos in the same way, you know, Thrones has yeah. the battle of the bastards has become in-world lore, just very cool.
1: It's very cool that the legend is growing, like you say. And I also just want to quickly say about that conversation when they do name drop Captain Marvel, Monica Rambeau pivots away from that and the Infinity Stone talk very suspiciously. And that suggests to me, contrary of what we said from last episode, maybe she is more aware of her own developing superpowers than we initially thought because her discomfort with the topic, says to me that she she has a secret. Methinks she doth protest too much. The rest of the episode at work, and I really love this scene, Vision reads an email from S.W.O.R.D. on these old-school 1980s computers that reveals the situation in Westview. is basically like a, a plot recap for Vision in episode. He also manages to break through to Norm's real-world subconscious, uh, and discover that Wanda is controlling the town and essentially keeping everyone there hostage and in anguish, extreme anguish through through her grief. So this was a very dark moment as well, a, a, a reality bleeding through this sitcom setup in a way that gives it real-world stakes. These these actors, quote-unquote, are being kept from their pa- families are in, and are enveloped in the entropy and grief and pain and chaos that Wanda is feeling. I mean, it it is a nightmarish existence.
2: Yeah, I'd say except for the standoff between Wanda and Vision at the end, this work scene was my favorite part as it's once again a masterclass in tonal shift. They go from corny punchlines to sheer terror right back to corny punchlines, just like that. There's also a parallel to be drawn between something that they showed before and that's the post-snap. Waking up post-snap and waking up out of Wanda's world are very similar in the sense yeah. of picking right back up from where you left off and just the sheer sense of chaos and I got to get get back to my life and what I was doing in that moment before this all went wrong. So very affecting scene. I also, again, just to show how they balance these themes, I find it low-key hilarious that Vision still seems to have the same job. <laughs> <Like, laughs> how
1: has he not been promoted?
2: Like, yeah, dude.
1: It's been 30 years. It's
2: been 30 years. (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah, you're right. Those are really cool kind of thematic bookends for Monica specifically that almost set up this motif, this, this consistent through line to her recent existence that is very also traumatic as well. Imagine having to overcome both of those experiences. Yeah. Like if I just snapped back into existence after being gone for five years, not be I'd be great. fucked up, my man. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be real fucked up. I'd be like, yo, pass me the bottle and give me a therapist. Boy, do I have a hit song theory for you. Oh, we got some. Guys, I just got
2: up. back from, from being blipped. Sit down. <laughs>
1: <laughs> By the way, there's nothing, there's no afterlife, there's no God. So what did I miss? <laughs> you know, like just casual. Um, All right, so S.W.O.R.D. sends in the drone from the 1980s in Westview, and initially Monica's controlling it, and she's just attempting to communicate with Wanda. That's it. But, of course, in typical douchey suit guy fashion, douchey suit guy basically usurps control and tries to kill Wanda with a a missile from the drone, and that pisses her right (laughs) the fuck off off she emerges from the static field of the hex which by the way darcy solid nickname right there for for the whole thing the hex i really like that she emerges from the static field throws the drone at their feet and threatens not only hayward but all of sword in a full heel turn villain moment she is not fucking around and importantly slams home the point that if she wasn't before she is now fully aware of what's going on and what she is doing in the town of west
2: funny here because our notes are kind of the same i wrote down classic trigger happy moron makes things worse once again classic. just always when will these guys these fucking suits ever learn
1: it's it's i always come back to the uh, how
2: can we of- piss off an extremely hostile already powerful target yeah. oh let's fire a fucking missile at her
1: I, I always come back in situations like this to the great episode of South Park spoofing the day after tomorrow where one of the characters in the background basically poo-poos Randy Marsh's theory. And he goes, and Randy's just like, yes, cliche, condescending Republican. And basically shits all over him. And that's that's my whole like umbrella topic for these types of guys. You know what I mean?
2: All right, but this sort of loops into a top uh topic that I brought up before. And there's a disconnect in the Wanda- Progression, And that sort of leads me to think that there's something more going on with the character herself. And that's how does she go from unknowingly creating this alternate reality to flat out stealing corpses and mind controlling people to point guns at their bosses. And I just can't bridge those two. How she went from not knowing to fully embracing, if not going too right. far.
1: Now, I do think this episode kind of confirms what you have brought up in the past. And that is, nominally speaking, Wanda is the villain of WandaVision. But at the same time, this episode, episode five, says Wanda is also the one censoring the broadcast. Maybe, but I still think a little bit to your point, I still think there's potentially another factor at play, whether that be a Mephisto or a Reaper or something. I, I think she is the villain. And I also love that because turning the protagonist into the antagonist and making Vision the quote unquote hero of the story is the most emotionally compelling and sophisticated dynamic that this show could possibly create. It relies on our years long investments into these characters and contorting it into an entirely new fashion, which is far more effective than introducing a no name villain we have no connection to. But I think overarching, leading into Doctor Strange 2 and potentially Spider-Man 3, WandaVision is probably still, at the same time, like you're saying, planting the seeds for a Mephisto or something, because I'm just not sold that, like you again, you're saying 100% of this turn is all Wanda. I I gotta believe there's other forces at play. Like,
2: she just into sixes now. She's like, oh, let's make my world a six-sided shape. There's just a lot that... But I still
1: think she is the villain. I think it's a lot her, but there's something else. Yeah, yeah. Something something fishy going on. (laughs) Something fishy. Yeah, something a little fishy. All right, so after Sparky unexpectedly dies, and we don't actually see him die. We see some rustling in the bushes, and then we see Agnes pop up with his dead body, which is,
2: hmm. and And again, this once again is, she's trying to use this as an accelerant to make the kids grow up.
1: Yep. And so Vision confronts Wanda about her actions and. Sorry, sorry. what? I just I just completely blank. Sorry. Uh, yes, they are using it as an accelerant to make her grow up. And I love how the kids say they kind of want to run away from the grief. And Wanda says, don't do that. I'm like, Wanda, that's that's literally what this entire show is about. So <laughs> don't be a hypocrite. But uh, Vision, this is the last straw. This is one of, what, five or six instances in this episode in which reality is not making sense. And
2: this is this scene is just so good. Vision, he, uh, sorry, Paul Bettany turns it up to 11, and it works. When, it, when he hits that, you know, Norm is in pain, he has a family, he can't go home because of you, stop lying to me. All of that shit, Vision sort of out of nowhere becomes this emotional and... Vision has always sort of had a emotional weight because of his very state of being, this sort of hyper intelligent, almost alien like life form gave him dramatic weight, but now that dramatic weight comes from very human anguish and I just found that to be super powerful.
1: Yeah, I agree and intrinsically he is actually from this place of empathy. You know, he was created as a combination of Ultron and Tony Stark who are not the most empathetic characters around. And yet his development as a sentient being all his own has always been this intellectual detached, a, a, not detached, this but this intellectual big picture empathy. You know, he says in Civil War, like, guys, maybe we are the problem. We have to confront that reality. And I, I think that's a huge step forward for him as a character. And now here we're seeing he is taking the moral route. He is recognizing something's wrong and is willing to sacrifice the seemingly idyllic life for what is more important. And so, you know, straight ripped from the comics, him and Wanda face off in that levitating mono E mano way, which was and very, cool. again,
2: absolutely great fits.
1: Yeah. Great. Fit. She's
2: got on like the red Chuck tees and the classic blue jeans, man, the eighties, I would have <laughs> loved to live there, man.
1: So their little tit for tat is interrupted by a, doorbell ring that she
2: specifically points out that she did not expect
1: yes and i and i do want to come back to that she opens the door and it is pietro aka quicksilver but darcy notes watching from afar that he has been recast it is evan peters's quicksilver who fans will know from the fox x-men movies it is not aaron taylor johnson who is originally in the mcu role and killed in age of ultron and so that even elicits a ooh from the quote unquote live studio audience watching the sitcom so you know it's a huge deal so that is the big big reveal and twist of this episode and i think Most of our theory talk from from now on in this episode is probably going to be tied to this moment.
2: (laughs) Now, let me run through a few quick points here. I want to point out is that it's very much the Quicksilver from the X-Men world. Like his clothing and his general vibe is that of the character in the Fox X-Men world. Now, that said, that doesn't mean that's the case here. It could just be an in-joke, as they said, a recasting. This doesn't necessarily mean that it is the transported character from the X-Men universe into the MCU, but his clothing, his very sort of punk rock-esque look, which he maintained in the X-Men films, is here now. Now, that could be explained that that's how people dressed in the 1980s, or it could be explained as, yes, this is the one from the X-Men world. The problem is here is that, He's not the Quicksilver that Wanda remembers. She is clearly shaken by the fact that a new face has showed up at her
1: door. Yeah, I mean, this is clearly a huge what-the-fuck moment for the entire show and the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. And kind of using everything you just said as a foundation, like my two big takeaway points slash questions were... Uh, One, you know, everything that Wanda creates inside the hex is real, according to S.W.O.R.D. That's what they established in this episode. That specifically includes her children, Tommy and Billy, which Monica says, no, they they are real. If Wanda created Evan Peters as Pietro, that would mean he's real too and have significant ramifications potentially for the X-Men Marvel stuff. But as you noted, Eric, she insists to Vision that she did not create whoever is behind the door you know knocking on the door when they're when they're arguing so that to me comes back to what we were just talking about it hints potentially Mephisto or another entity of some sort might have created Evan Peters's is Pietro and perhaps that means he's not here to stay there's not a long-term ramifications or perhaps it does number two which is hold on
2: let me just cut in and and he has a characteristic of the only two other beings in this world who seem to be outside of Wanda's control, and that's Agnes and Dottie, and that is that she
1: doesn't see them coming. Wow, that's a very, very good point. That's a very good point, yeah. So, again, she might not have created him, which means she he might not be real, which means he might be short-term, but so again, where is it borrowing from? Uh, number two is do mutants now in canon exist within the MCU? Because we, we know in the House of M, which is a big inspiration point for WandaVision, she infamously takes away the powers of almost all the mutants on Earth, including Pietro's. So flipping the script, because Marvel loves to take bits and pieces from the comic books and kind of remix them at, to their own, could WandaVision potentially end with Wanda, for lack of a better term, birthing the mutants in the MCU, jumping off from this Pietro Quicksilver point?
2: Yeah, that's been the theory that's been out there for some time. You and I had talked about it leading into this pod, but we had also discussed would they really roll out the X Men in a show that, as you noted, wasn't even planned to be the first Disney Plus series out. But Kevin Feige has always promised that the Disney Plus shows are going to heavily factor into the MCU. So if there's one way to do that, fucking bringing in mutants is definitely one of yeah,
1: them. And Not rolling out I think rolling out the X-Men and introducing the concept of mutants are two very great point, great
2: point, great point. But it'll be fascinating to see what he knows. Because will he have the same backstory of Wanda that they grew up in Scovia, blah blah blah? Or will it be his X-Men where he lived in his mom's basement and blah blah blah. So and he's got a New
1: York accent here. Hey, can I hug my
2: sister? Whoa. So that'll be hey, (laughs) uh keep stirring the sauce. (laughs) <laughs> um, that's, that's funny I'm just curious to see to what extent Is he a mutant or to what extent Is he just still Agreed. Ronda's brother That we knew
1: Who who was created via the Mindstone We We need, right. there are so many questions That we just don't know And so many potential Ramifications But Eric, is there a potential chance That we are overthinking this And the the simple matter Of the fact is Marvel's not going to go out and get the same fucking guy from the Fox X-Men movies unless they're making a friggin' point about the multiverse. Like, are we overthinking it? And the obvious thing is like, no, guys, we're, we're doing this very intentionally because it's a crossover. It- That's what I meant by sort of that hand-waving meta thing how instead
2: of having it be this whole complicated thing they're just going to be straight up in our face about it like the uh bill o'reilly clip fuck it we're doing it live let's do it live like that is sort of what the mcu is doing here right they're like yeah. you know how in most time travel films they'll try to avoid explaining it because it becomes too confusing
1: Kind of be... like Endgame a little bit. I mean, they 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 explained it, but like, you know, come that on. That
2: could be what they're doing here, as I've said, and now as you've just said, how just being very upfront with it. A, the multiverse is here. To people in the real world, it'll be a result of Wanda rewriting storylines and recasting characters.
1: I also want to say here, Eric, because we're at this point in this episode, technically speaking... Evan Peters's introduction as recast Pietro was a post credit scene reveal within the sitcom show itself, because <laughs> the credits rolled within the sitcom, but Revi- Vision refused to stop pushing the issue because some important shit was going down, so the very special episode continued. I, I kind of think this is a subtly brilliant subversion of the post credit But Um, isn't it kind of technically a post-credit scene a little bit? Yes, well, and
2: again, that like credit roll when Vision is like, you can't control me the way that you do them. And she's like, can't I? And which is, again, just fucking scary as shit. And then the credits start rolling. It's like at the same time, they're using a funny application of credits to make you feel scared, which is just uh, unbelievably brilliant.
1: And fun fact, the term gaslighting comes from the 1940s movie Gaslight, in which a husband tries to convince his wife that she is going insane by remotely dimming and empowering the gaslights in their house to to screw with her. So that's where the term comes from. And she is literally gaslighting, you know, in, in her own Wanda way vision in, in this episode and yes. kind of throughout the whole entire the show. Whole t-
2: yeah, for sure. The whole time.
1: So fun fact right there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which again speaks to how like self-referential and meta the episode is. And being meta doesn't inherently make whatever smart, your content good yeah. or smart. But I think these are all good uses. Like uh, Kat Dennings, Darcy Lewis phrasing it as she recast her brother is a, I think, really effective wink and nod at what the audience knows. Yeah. All right, Eric, let's let's hop into the awards and categories now that we've kind of run through the episode and a lot of our major theories. Uh, The Infinity Gauntlet for the Real MVP award. Fine. I'll do it myself. I mean, for me, this, this goes to Vision, Paul Bettany's performance. You know, he's the voice of reason in the show. He's balancing his kind of prior world existence with this new one as he learns what's going on. Elizabeth Olsen's great too, but Paul Bettany just stole this episode, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I have the same ones. I have both of them. Uh, They're acting throughout this series, particularly in this episode and in that final scene, as I've brought up a few times, Paul Bettany cranks that shit up to where if he wasn't so good at his job, it would be... Overacting, but it's not. It 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 totally, totally works
1: here. You feel his pain, man. You feel his pain. Yeah, for sure. Uh the Thor the Dark World Award for worst performance. You needn't have come so far as Guardian. Death would have come to you soon enough. Not by your hand. Again, but- Elizabeth Olsen's been great. She was great in this episode, but her accent work when she leaves Westview momentarily. I don't know if it was an intentional, like, I'm gonna balance both because reality is blending or what but it wasn't working for me.
2: Yeah, I've got douchey suit guy for not knowing that, hey guys, hey, to all douchey suit guys out there, shooting at them never makes anything better. Just have that be your golden rule.
1: It's just so funny that in the episode, they're like, we've never seen this sort of power from Wanda before. And douchey suit guys like- Let's shoot a missile at her. Yep, like that's your first response? My man, (laughs) that is not intelligent thinking. No wonder you're acting director and not full on (laughs) director. Yeah. All right, the, the Jarvis Award for best performance by anyone except the lead actor. Allow me to introduce myself. I am Jarvis a virtual artificial intelligence, and I'm here
2: to assist you with a variety of tasks as best I can.
1: If we're discounting Paul Bettany, I'm clearly going with Catherine Hahn because she- Ah.
2: I'm going to go with Evan Peters because the line reading of who's the popsicle kills me absolutely killed me great after what line. was just a heavy mind-blowing scene for him to drop that line in his sort of New York voice who's the popsicle hilarious dude I loved it he was and like, great
1: I never I never kind of like stepped back and looked at vision but like yeah, popsicle-esque for sure yeah. I like it uh the Tony Stark exposition monologue award for basically we need a smart person to continue explaining this to us and I'm just bringing it back to what we've already talked about the ramifications of evan peters's quicksilver you know did wanda create him or did some other entity create him are there mutants in the mcu now <clears throat> is this a sign that marvel is folding in Fox's x-men or is it just a short-term meta self-referential blip are we setting up doctor strange 2 and spider-man 3 multiverse shenanigans i need answers i got to know
2: so just in case you're confused at home this we had been Calling our What the Fuck award, but we had realized it was the only one without an MCU sort of theme. Brandon gave it that great Stark one. The one that I came up with is the Star Lord Who? Award for What the Fuck is Going On. Star Lord. Who?
1: Star Lord, man. Legendary Outlaw.
2: This is not so much a What the Fuck, but it's sort of a raised eyebrow line. When Monica, Jimmy, and Darcy are sort of scheming their plan of how to get back in the hex, Monica Rambeau says she knows an aerospace engineer who'd be up for the challenge and then goes to whip out her phone. But then either Jimmy or Darcy cut her off and we're not and we don't see if they if she sends that text. Later, when Wanda brings the drone back to them and she says, Is this yours? It's a stark drone.
1: Oh, I didn't catch that.
2: Yeah, so so tell me, Brandon. <laughs> well,
1: when she said that I I couldn't remember what his job title was, but I I was thinking Selvig, um the uh the Skarsgard, the famous Skarsgard actor who's in Thor. Selvig is, is cause I, cause But I don't I, think he's necessarily an engineer. He might be It a would strike physicist. and
2: it, it, it comes at the same time that you pointed out whereas Monica's tries to skirt the talk about the Infinity Stones. So could, that could all be a Captain Marvel 2 tie-in, perhaps.
1: Potentially, yeah. I, th- I think that would be interesting.
2: As for what role the Stark drone plays, if perhaps just Sword uses Stark tech, I don't know. I don't even know if there's a thread to tie between those two, but I was... Also,
1: like, they just have 1980s drones, like, on hand? That was <laughs> yeah. interesting, right? It's 40 years ago. Like, we're, like seriously, how did they get there? Yeah, would you with, just right?
2: have a warehouse full of old shit? Uh, that's called hoarding, people.
1: Yeah, maybe that's the armor wars. Like, hey, we're gonna break into this old warehouse. We gotta get rid of all this shit. (laughs) (laughs) All right, the time stone that real quick award. I'm proud of myself because I didn't read this anywhere else. I went through and meticulously paused this episode because every time dating back to 2012's Avengers, there is any type of group meetings where there's computer screens with information on in the background. There is always tidbits and Easter eggs and interesting stuff going on in the background. So I fucking went through these these sword meetings in this episode, the scene where they're basically breaking down Wanda's background in that group sword meeting, they throw up on the screen a news story about the Sokovian air raids that killed Wanda Wanda's parents. Now, I could definitely be reading into this way too far but I still thought it was interesting. I zoomed in. The new story is dated March 31st, 1999. I then looked it up. On that day in real life, Marvel released 11 new comics, and that included two Avengers books, one of it which includes both Scarlet Witch and Vision, and one of it which includes Vision only in flashbacks, which I thought was kind of an interesting parallel to how Vision exists right now and on that day in real life also marvel released a magneto comic in which quicksilver is in grave peril and he's at the center of the story of it's involved with genosha and the leadership there but the fact that he was such a central figure in that comic book released on that day tying into this episode there was also mutant x and x-force books at well now as well maybe that's all a coincidence or maybe it's, you know, Marvel being a little nifty and crafty with their Easter eggs. I don't know. I could be reading it into it too much, but I thought that was all interesting.
2: I told my man to come prepared to pod, like it's game seven, and he and he comes with the frame by frame analysis. I love it.
1: Bang, I'm trying. so I, I just uh, think it connects to. Mike Green. Bang <laughs> um,
2: uh, listen. Mine is the vision work scene again, just a marvelous example of how this series can flip from comedy to abject horror on a dime. It also appeared to Poor be Norm. using. It also mm-hmm. did. You notice how it appeared to be shot through some sort of filter? Did
1: you catch that at all? I, I didn't catch that. I got to okay. go rewatch that scene for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Wow. Okay, because that that also plays into how they use the aspect ratio at the time. Yeah. Uh uh-huh. huh. Huh. Interesting, Eric. All right, put this in Odin's Vault Award. Odin's treasures. Fake. That's the stuff in here is fake. Marvel's ability to, in my opinion, blend and balance two disparate styles and formats, which ultimately results in them unifying the storyline across quote-unquote mediums. And I use air quotes because this sitcom, half of this story is its like own medium in itself, and I think they've aligned them both now perfectly.
2: I am going with Catherine Hahn in Jazzer size clothes.
1: It does it for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't know she was she was rocking like that. No, I'm only kind of kidding. Uh, I'm going with Vision's sort of rage explosion, where he's just like, you can't fucking lie to me, Wanda. Just like that was a very intense scene.
1: I'm really glad you mentioned that because my answer for the next category, the cap lifts the hammer award for best hero moment. is the rip from the comic book image of vision going toe to toe with wanda in the air again he's pushing for morality he knows what wanda is doing is wrong he's become self-aware and he is fulfilling this new dynamic of husband and wife as antagonist and and protagonist in this beautifully emotional uh very very complicated and layered conflict
2: yeah, I had Vision sort of being the moral lighthouse as my sort of overarching one. But on a smaller scale, and I don't know if you realize this, I have Jimmy Woo finally got Darcy her coffee.
1: Oh, that's a great catch. That's and a that's great a catch. hero right there. Like we said in a couple other episodes, too. He- it's the little things with Jimmy Woo. Like when the, uh, the experiments and breakthrough via the radio waves doesn't work as they hoped. And he goes, you know, good try Darcy. we will get we'll get him next time. This man is the real deal.
2: Also real quick. I've realized why I enjoy Randall Park's face so much. And it's that he's very Jim Carrey esque and how expressive he could be. Like you could understand what he's saying just by the shape and contours of his face. Like he could convey moods and tones and words. Through his eyebrows and his cheekbones and his smiles, everything. He's a very malleable face that helps him selling the type of emotion he's trying to act.
1: Guys, we just compared Randall Park to Jim Carrey. <laughs> Listeners, please go on Twitter and tweet at Randall Park to come on Post Cred Pod because I we are that. just lavishing this dude with praise. He would be a great guest. Guys, listeners, I'm, I'm dead serious. Please do that for us. We would greatly appreciate it. All right, Eric, what is the worst thing you could say about this episode? For me, it wasn't long enough. Every <sighs> single time we've ever done this question, I come up with a legit negative. This time, I love this episode. is my favorite episode of the show. And I, I'm just having a great time with WandaVision right now. It wasn't long enough. You
2: actually opinion. outwitted me because you found a much smarter way to say what I'm about to say is I got nothing. absolutely nothing but you you put a creative spin on it so well played sir but I will transition into what is the best thing that I could say and steal a page out of your book and read directly from my post The weaponization of television normalcy has been WandaVision's greatest strength thus far. And this mastery of subversion continues in episode five, which sees the very walls that Wanda built for herself begin to close in on her, whether that's by her own doing or outside forces. The walls that she's constructed to keep the world out are now being used to close in against her. When I speak of the weaponization of normalcy, Think about Agnes acting like an actress and asking if she could take it from the top. Or Vision sitting in horrified confusion as his colleagues read an email about the Maximoff anomaly out loud. Or Wanda choosing to roll credits in the middle of a fight. It's these moments of bold storytelling and blatant subversion that represent some of the most experimental content Marvel has ever produced and thus far has been one of the most unique viewing experiences they've ever provided. For years, the general knock against the MCU has been that it could be sort of formulaic in nature, that it's merely a multi-billion dollar assembly line, chopping and changing it's features perfect. that always amount to the same B-plus product. That is obviously not the case here, as it's not only wading into new dramatic territories, for the mcu but it's charting a new plotting course as well right when you fire up a mcu film you know some asses will be kicked and some jokes will be made and things will get a bit hairy for the good guys before they come out on top at the end can you say the same about this show right now do you really have any idea of how this story is going to end up can the characters in wandavision even say so That said, there is an element of predictability to come as the trajectory of recent episodes allows us to confidently guess that Wanda's back-end run will be a downhill sprint more in tune with the traditional MCU third act. But the details of it, your guess is as good as mine. The MCU 13 years into its run has become a bastion of Hollywood normalcy. Every six months, they'll release an above average to a great, well-received superhero film that will make anywhere from half a billion to two billion worldwide. But in WandaVision, Marvel has thrown normalcy, both of their own well-worn design and that of television from decades past, out the window to create something entirely new. While WandaVision may not end up being the best MCU project to date, it will certainly rank among the most interesting, and that is an achievement unto itself bringing something genuinely new to the sprawling gold-plated table of the MCU. Ooh,
1: my man, Eric, going off. All right, everyone needs to go to Bro Bible. Check out Eric's excellent thesis paper that he just hit off. Go to Observer. Check out my recap of of the episode. But man, that was some fuego soliloquying right there. Thank
2: you, sir. Thank you. I love this. It was a great episode.
1: It was. Look look at what it elicits and inspires in in writers when you have good content to cover.
2: Right, for sure. God bless them, man.
1: I don't even want to like follow that up. Let's just move on to the next fucking question. Uh, Stuff that we think is cool that needs mentioning. I just have two quick things right here. Uh, Number one, I loved in the sword meeting that the douchey suit guy was like, basically, we have no freaky nicknames for Wanda, even though we, the audience, know her as Scarlet Witch. Again, another little self reference Oh, I
2: didn't put that that, together. I was like, dog, what are you talking about? It's Scarlet Witch. So nobody in the world calls
1: her that? It's never been uttered in in the mcu and i just think that's interesting i think by the end of this she will i think that was setting up the fact that someone is going to coin that term that that moniker by the end of this so fascinating I that was cool. and then i just wanted to quickly touch on the fake commercial in this episode because we didn't get one last year it is last Lagos. Week. yeah sorry last week uh i think i've been stuck in westview i've lost all view of time uh last in in this episode it is lagos paper towels in the mcu lagos is the largest city in nigeria and it is the site of wanda's mishap in civil war that resulted in the deaths of kind of innocent people when they were fighting crossbows crossbones and i like that the uh the basically tagline of the commercials when you make a mess you didn't mean to which is clearly what happened in civil war with wandavision and i just like in general that each of the commercial references in WandaVision has been an important moment in Wanda's backstory. And I think at the end of the series, we should do a quick segment on each and every uh, commercial and where they fit on her timeline. And then just quickly, last thing was the sitcoms that this episode spoofed from what I could see was Father Knows Best, Family Ties, and maybe a touch of Full House, even though Full House is more than '90s. 90s. Oh,
2: wow, I, I I had no idea. Did you sense that or did you have to look that up?
1: i mean i knew family ties i knew that mm. one for sure the other ones I- all right well i think that's gonna do it for our Ooh. WandaVision division recap review analysis evaluation and just general unhealthy obsession maybe, <laughs> maybe a little bit um but we're gonna keep marvel train rolling we have our interview with our exclusive interview with don cheadle next so please keep listening if you're interested in armor wars if you're interested in this legends career and all sorts of awesome stuff with us, Don. Really appreciate it. Know you're busy, so we'll make this quick and painless for you. How's that sound?
2: Hey, what's going on, boss? Video. I did not expect
0: this. I'm excited. Um, he said you said quick and painless, but it, you can make it a little bit painful. You know, it's fine. I like <laughs> I'm like that dentist, and uh, I'm like Steve Martin in that uh, movie. No, go ahead.
1: Perfect. Fair. So first, just to start off, would love to hear you talk about your awesome collaboration with Michelob Ultra for the Super Bowl. You know, what can fans expect? What's it all about?
0: Well, it's a it's a pretty cool commercial. Um, You know, the tagline is as real as it tastes. And the commercial kind of takes a a swipe at that in, in in a real funny way, undercuts that um, with me being the button at the end. I don't want to give the whole thing away because you want to experience the surprises in the commercial, but there's other, there's there's a lookalike component to the commercial uh, and there is uh, just some fun to be had with some celebrity lookalikes and stuff. Um, and the, a huge thing which is great is that my brother is in the commercial as well. So having the opportunity to put him in on a Super Bowl commercial when our team is in is just crazy, so
1: is he older
0: or younger he's younger than me
1: okay a little bro that owes you a lot there
2: but he
0: looks looks older so
2: (laughs) does he not age too or is that just (laughs) your skill i think
0: i age i mean uh thank you i appreciate that
2: but uh no he you
0: know it's it's great we had a great time and you know in the commercial there's just a lot of, of back and forth and and it's something that you know i don't know if you guys have brothers but it's something that's not hard to do which just take shots at your brother you know that's easy that's easy to do so we have a great time and he's we actually came out here to, to hawaii to shoot it so we're having a great time
1: that's really cool now of course eric and i have explored the wide and eclectic long-running career that you have enjoyed but as guys in our 20s we have to admit our first exposure to you was rush hour 2* of all things. And I think it's a great example <laughs> of a versatile actor turning a small role into something truly memorable because that scene with Jackie and Chris is well choreographed, it's entertaining, it's hilarious. But I'm curious, what is your mindset on a project like that when maybe you only have a couple scenes to make an impression rather than headlining role?
0: Yeah, well, it's always for for me like the moments and things, right? You know, you only, you you, you remember a whole movie and somebody asks you about the movie and usually you're talking about several moments in the movie. So when that movie came up, the director asked me, he said, hey, I want you to do this movie with Jackie Chan and I want you to get your ass kicked by Jackie Chan. I was like, well, that's not going to happen. I said, I will fight fight Jackie Chan to a draw. I said, I can like be in the movie and speak Chinese and fight Jackie Chan and I would love to do it. And he said, "I think we could do that." So uh, Jackie and I went up to his house and and you know choreographed the fight. And again, it's moments like that, like with this commercial. It's like it's a great opportunity to do something with my brother. Um, and I was like, "I'll do it if I get to fight Jackie Chan." So it's like you know these sort of a la carte experiences that I'm going to curate and create for myself. I think. to Do it.
2: That. That's a great way to put it, that you could just sort of tack that on to the list of the things that you've done throughout your long career. Yeah, I've gone toe to toe with Jackie Chan, you know, it's just a very cool add on. Before I get into what I want to ask, since I know my mom is going to hear this, let me just say she is a huge fan of yours. Boogie Nights is one of her favorite films of all time, and she cannot get enough of you in that. So mom, hi, I said it. Speaking of the first time that we saw you and your work, the Oceans films to me when I was younger and still at this point are sort of the epitome of cool. When I ask you about your experience shooting that film, what's the first on set memory that pops in your head? Oh, man, there's so many. Um, Or a good one, even.
0: Oh, no, I mean. You know, all of us coming together uh, in, in Europe to shoot the second one, which is the one that people feel completely no compunctions about coming up to you and saying, you know, I didn't like that one. <laughs> I was like, that, that's cool. You didn't have to, you know, you know, at me when you said that. But uh, just all of us getting to come back and the amount of time we had been away from each other, you know, people got married, we had kids, families, we were all together in Italy. Um, and just sort of the reunion and the real familial Feel that those movies have. I mean, you can tell we're all having fun, and I think that's some of the the magic in those movies is that you you know, it doesn't feel forced or manufactured. You're like, I bet those those guys really like each other, and it's like we For really sure. have
2: a great time. Well, that's why I asked. There's not one night that you think of when your brain goes back to those times. Oh, oh well, there is.
0: I'll say there were several nights we we did shoot in Amsterdam, so. Uh, <laughs>
2: Without oh man, I get you there. We could leave it there if you want.
0: <laughs> <You're> right <there. laughs> All
2: right, I want to jump to something a little more of the times. I'm going to ask you about Armor Wars. With the success of the Mandalorian and Wandavision, I'm sure, I'm sure you were hyped to begin with. But now, seeing how well these shows are doing, I'm sure sort of raises your hype. To dive back into this role and this world. So let me ask you here. The MCU sort of makes genre films, right? Ant Man is a heist film. WandaVision is very clearly this sitcom riff. How was Armor Wars pitched to you in that sense?
0: Well, it's literally so early in the gestation period of what it's going to be. We're just putting the room together and having very early sort of concept questions around what it is. It's based you know, initially on the series, uh, the comic book series of Armor Wars, where Tony Stark's, all of his, you know, works have been stolen and they're being used by nefarious characters all around the world. And Rhodey is tasked with going out there and getting it all back. So it's going to be based around that comic book, but true to the MCU and true to Marvel's, uh, you know, sort of mission, the, the comic books are a jumping off point. And then these things have to kind of have their own mythology and their own sort of modus operandi and the way that they work. So to wit, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen, but I think it's going to be some intense, you know, kick-ass roadie going
2: around the world. Given it, the name, I mean, it's a kick-ass name. You simply have to kick ass.
0: Yes, um,
2: so, but to just to that point, since it's in its sort of early stages, Kevin Feige has pointed out that WandaVision is going to tie into Doctor Strange 2. So you don't or you may know, but do you know what projects Armor Wars is going to tie into if no. at all? No,
0: okay. but as you said, we, we know that it'll be something. You know, we know that they're that's that's some of the, the, the fun of the, the MCU is that we all get to show up now in each other's stories and there's ways that, you know, we're cross platforming these characters and and they become storylines sometimes in the movies and then these storylines in the movies will come become storylines in the shows. So it's really a fun and interesting, and you know, and, and it, it, by all imagination, completely open-ended. This can go anywhere. So it's great. I can't wait to get in the room with the writers and us to figure out all, how all of those things happen. You know, Rhodey shows up in a uh, Winter Soldier and Falcon show, so um, cool. it could be a uh, it could it could be a lot.
2: Do you have yeah. an idea of when you're going to start to write? When they're going to start that, or
1: yeah,
0: the, the the room's going to start the uh, next month.
2: Oh great, awesome.
1: Now I'm sure you've realized this yourself, but with Tony Stark's passing, Rhodey is now the longest tenured MCU character in terms of the time spent with fans. Are there any aspects of his character or thematic ground that you hope Armor Wars explores that maybe hasn't yet made it onto the big screen just yet? And as a part of that, will the death of Tony Stark play a role in the series?
0: Uh, the death of his the death of Tony Stark will I'm pretty sure will play a role in the series Um, and, and, you know, where we've sort of been progressing roadie, you know, over, even in the last film, you know, where he's now up again and he's now walking again and he's now mobile again. So as the technology continues to develop and we keep making innovations in the suit and what happens, I imagine there's going to be another elevation and another, you know, uh, uh, a way that we're going to keep digging into that part of of Rhodey but really figuring out a way to make to bridge what's happening in the comic books with what's happening on screen in the MCU and how we're going to make those worlds work that's really exciting.
2: Let me just say to touch on the last time that we saw him I think that Rhodey Loki had one of the best lines in Endgame when he says to um uh, I forget her name but Karen Gillan mm-hmm. that when she like, expresses remorse over the way that she is, you say, I was not always like this, but we deal with what we've got. And right. I feel like that was a super subtle moment that hits home to that character's strength and, and sort of you playing him. And even though in this grand film, he had this very human moment that I felt that we could all relate to.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, that was a, and that's something that just came out of, a lot of that stuff that you see in the movies, it's it's not improv necessarily, but it is, it is it it is in a way, improv. It's things that Did we you make talk. up that line? As we're rehearsing the scene, it's just stuff that came up. Yeah, they wanted her to say that, and she just expressed something, and I just expressed it back. And it's like it made its way into the film. And it's like that stuff is cool when we
2: get to do that. That's why you're a legend. That's what I'm it talking is, about. Right? I love that line. I really do. So awesome, man. Thank you, man.
1: Don, because you've had such an eclectic resume, what is the more difficult group to please, in your opinion? Comic book franchise fans or, like, the hardcore snooty film and TV critics?
0: Um, I'm going to say the comic book. You know what I mean? There's not a critic con You know, we go to Comic-Con, and those people are 100 about it and have been for a long time and are really about what's happening and know every thing, chapter and verse, that's happening with the characters and are really critically involved and interested in how they develop. So I know for Marvel and I know for everyone who's in charge there that they are always making sure that they get that right. You know, can't always do that with TV and and film critics, and that happens sometimes and it doesn't. And you hope that that works too. But I think you really have to try to get it right for these comic book fans, because there's a Bible. There's something that they're looking to that's already established and has, you know, that's that's the lexicon we're going to
2: let me uh throw not a curveball here because I don't want to put you on the spot in terms of the LeBron MJ debate on the court but when it comes to behind the camera does LeBron can LeBron hold his own is he a better actor than MJ can you sort of talk about that at all
1: Still courting controversy.
2: Yeah, yeah. I
0: don't want to throw you under the bus. Or well, because the sports know. debate is a is an entirely
2: different sort
1: of it thing.
0: Is. You
2: know? It is.
0: It is. Um, I will say that LeBron, we had a we had a great time on the movie, and he really, really is good. You know, what I mean, he's really he really gets it. He really understands what it is that that he's trying to do as an actor, and takes it really seriously. And at that time, he was injured. He was still putting the team together. They were trying to recruit AD at that time. He had to, after he got better, he was, you know, practicing after doing 12 hours of shoot, you know, because movie shoots are incredibly long and intense. And we'd shoot for 12, 13 hours, and then he'd go play a pickup game or go train with the team and have to be back in the morning to, like, do his, get his workout in before he came to the set. So he There's
2: was just nonstop.
0: And I was like, you, you know you could be a little more of a diva if you wanted to be. <laughs> I, I, had,
2: I had seen that they had courts set up on set. Did you ever get to play with him at all? or? Yeah, I had to whoop him a couple times.
1: <laughs> you dunked on LeBron. No big
0: deal. Are, are you nice at all? Do you play? or? Oh, you haven't seen the GOAT? You're talking about the whole, Let's <laughs> all my work, and you haven't seen Rebound? The HBO? Go check that out.
2: No, okay, I will. Okay, cool, cool. So that's you, though. There's no stunt double.
0: Well, actually, this is a funny sort of to close the circle. Uh, they needed somebody to play the younger me in the movie. And I called my brother and I <laughs> said, my brother can do it. And they're like, yeah, we're going to cast your brother. I was like, audition him. Don't go on my word, audition him. And they read him. They auditioned awesome. him. And he got the part and he crushes in the part. And he's a baller and he dunks on pools. It's like, it's a great, it's a great, cool. it's a
2: great. And that was on HBO, you said? Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, Just to close out here. I just want to ask two more sort of uh, off the rail MCU things. Uh, Was there sort of a moment for you where you realized that this was going to be something different?
0: I don't think anyone really knew, you know, I mean, in the beginning, it was just something that people knew there was a, a, a book to go to as far as the material. And, you know, it's always, it's always a gamble. And you spend a lot of money on these and do a big ad campaign. And sometimes people are like, yeah, I'm not feeling it. So I don't think anybody could have anticipated. Of course, nobody could have anticipated what happened ultimately with, with the, the end game and Civil War and the, the amount of money that it made and the kind of impact it had. But I think, you know, they believe in the characters and Robert Downey Jr. being the one who anchored this whole thing, really taking it to the place that it, that it went. I, I don't think anyone anticipated that.
2: Okay. And then just last here, because I think we're about to run out of time. If not, don't worry. I've got plenty more, but I just want (laughs) to squeeze this one in. You are tangentially part of one of the most viral sort of MCU moments of all time. And that's when your co-star Mark Ruffalo (laughs) once dropped a massive spoiler, I believe on like the Today Show, which is as big of a show as you could screw up on. What did you say to him when you guys went? Because in the moment you're like dude 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 and it's this hilarious you know in hindsight you could totally tell he blew it but what did you say to him when the camera's cut what's funny is if you listen
0: closely (laughs) he almost he almost blows it and then tries to save it by like exaggerate because he almost says half of the people die, which was you know he (laughs) he went back all to everybody dies so then i was just trying to goof like Then I was trying to like do the double reverse on the psychology, like don't tell him that, like that was the truth, which it wasn't the truth. So it was a whole bit, you know, we were just doing, and we'd done stuff like that. We'd been on the red carpet all day. So we've been doing stuff like that all day, but that one just took off because yeah, he blew. I mean, and he'd done another thing where he, I think, had his phone on set and was FaceTiming and wasn't aware that he was live FaceTiming on the set and people were seeing the set as he was talking. It was, uh, I, we
2: love Mark. You we could totally him. you could totally see you are in crisis management mode <laughs> but I, but immediately. I really,
0: but I really wasn't. That's the whole funny thing about the bit is that we had been doing that bit all day where he's going to almost spoil it. And I'm like, don't spoil it. it just uh-huh. That one like, hit the zeitgeist. And,
2: that is so funny. Yeah. Don, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you and your years of work. Continue the best of luck out yeah. there, okay? Yeah, thank take you. it easy. Thank you very much,
1: man. All right, guys, we know this one was a long one. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you got something out of it. Please follow us at Post Cred Pod with all your theories, your questions, your comments. Please leave us a good five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all that good stuff. And please let Eric know that Brandon's theories are way better than this.
2: Uh, they are. So, go ahead and tell me. Um, <laughs> listen, reviews, 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 reviews. Get after them. All right, Please. y'all. Talk to you later. Peace. Yeah. yeah.
1: I'm going to make him off
0: My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.